Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. You know, the parables of Jesus can be as exciting and challenging as a good mystery novel or a mystery story where you get locked into what's going on and you're searching and seeking, trying to figure out all the pieces and how they play together. And a parable is much like that. It's very interesting. It's very intriguing. And we read a parable here when Jesus told a story that is anchored to one particular thing that Jesus is concerned about. Matthew chapter 25 is three parables told in a row all having to do with this one thing, that there will be a time when all of this is over and you and I will stand before our maker. And the one thing Jesus has to say is, wake up, watch, pay attention, be careful. You got to think about this. Our brother Richard mentioned before he prayed how important our choices are in life. That's what Jesus is honing in on here in these parables. Life is serious so watch and what's great about the parables is that it's more than just a mystery story it's talking about real life and so in this parable i want to just examine a few things with you notice a few of the characters and see how it relates to what jesus is really trying to drive home with this story because what's beautiful about the parables is that it's not just uh, a complicated mystery that you, unsol- that you solve and sort of unravel the truth and then it's all over. In fact, it is anchored deeply to who we are. And its truths are oftentimes very simple. The question really remains, will we follow? Will we obey? So here's my first point, first question you might ask is, let's look at what the master gave his servants. You notice at the very beginning, he establishes the relationships. We have master, and he calls his three servants, which mean that these three people who come to the master are the ones who are now in a relationship with him as servant, meaning they do his will, they follow his command, they seek after his mission. What they're wanting to do is accomplish the purposes of the master. And the main question in this parable is, what do all these elements represent specifically what the master gave to his servants. And here Jesus says the master gave talents. Talents. The master gave two things. The first one is explicit, the talents. The second one is a little bit implied. We'll see in just a moment. But the master gave each of them talents, different amounts. To the first one he gave five, to the second one he gave two, and to the last one he gave one. And a talent, um, we have some common misunderstandings about that. One of them is that Jesus is just plainly talking about money. And so he gives you money, and if you're going to do something with it, make sure you use it right. And if you're not going to use it the proper way, just put it in the bank. It'll make some interest. That's not necessarily what Jesus here is referring to. Another common misunderstanding is that the talents refer to our abilities. That's actually a um, common misunderstanding because it's the way we use the word talent in our English language. About the 14th century is when we started to take the word talent and apply it to what we're able to do. But that's not actually the case. Because you see, the master gave the servant 
talents based upon their abilities. So talents are the same things as abilities. They're based upon their abilities. Talents closely are relate to their abilities, but they're not the same thing. He gave it according to their abilities. So the question is this. When you have an ability or abilities, things you can do, what then do you look for? And the answer is pretty simple. When you have something that you're able to do, what you look for is opportunity. And so the master, I believe, is giving, first of all, to his disciples, opportunity. Opportunity. This was his servant's chance to devote themselves to the master's affairs. Now, a talent this time was a um, very large sum of measurement. And it was used to reference or norm reference money. And so it was equivalent to about 20 years of salary. So to the first guy, he was given five, then two, then one. But they were all given a large opportunity, a large ample amount. And this was their servant's opportunity as the master went away for them to engage in affairs, to engage themselves in the master's business to give the master an opportunity to benefit to take what power, what ability, and what gifts they have in their life and use them for the service of the master. The first one had five, the second one had two, the third one had one. But all three of them were given opportunity to use what power they had in service of the master. But he didn't just give opportunity. The master also gave expectations. And this is important for us to see that when you enter into a relationship with the master and you now see yourself as his servant, which is how this thing works, you see that the master entrusts his talents to the servants, meaning he placed it within, his, in, within their care. He didn't say that they inherited the talents. He didn't say that he just gave them to their possession. He said he entrusted them. He placed it into their responsible care, expecting them to use it for the benefit and the will of the master. And upon his return, he has a very simple question for each of them. What have you done with what I gave you? What have you done with it? And we see the first two respond and say, you've given me this and I've brought you this. And the third man has a bunch of excuses we'll see in just a moment. But for our purposes, we have a Lord, a master. When you become a Christian, you accept Jesus not just as Savior, as uh, he's described, but also Lord, which means master. And that brings us into a relationship with Christ where we are his servants. And he gives to us over and over opportunities, a wealth amount of an opportunity to use our abilities in the economy of his kingdom, to grow the reach of his kingdom, to spread to people, To not just take our abilities, our gifts, our talents, our power, our strength, and serve our own interests in our life, which would make you your own master. That if you take what you have in this life, your talents, your abilities, your skills, your gifts, and you say, I'm going to direct all of those to my interests, that makes you the master. But what he does is when we become a Christian, gives us opportunity to direct those things to his benefit. The relationship is clear. He's the master and we're the servants. And because of that, he has expectations and will on the day he returns when we stand before him as servants of the master ask us, what have you done with the opportunities I've given you? The second point is this. So we see what the master gave. The second point is this. What the servants actually did. Now Jesus shows us three 
different servants. One with five, one with two, one with one. But there's only really two options here on how to respond. He gives us the very first two as what he calls faithful servants. And what we see about the faithful servants is pretty simple. They were given something from the master and they used that. You might say it this way, that the faithful servants capitalized on their opportunities. To capitalize means to be willing to take a risk, to gain a benefit or reward, meaning they took something that was theirs and they risked that opportunity, they took that chance, and they gained from it. And when the master came, they returned back to that master, you gave me five, here's ten. You gave me two, here's four. These faithful servants capitalized on their opportunities. When an opportunity popped up, they took the chance They took the risk, and they hoped to gain a return for the master. And what's interesting about these people, these first two servants, is that there's really not much said about them. We don't get any insight into how they're thinking, not much insight into their motivation. We don't get much insight into the dialogue between the master and the servant. All all we see is that when the master returns, they walk up and say, as if they were standing before the one to whom they want to be approved, Master, you gave me this, I'm returning this back to you. These faithful servants are all about action, obedience, and blessing the master who has blessed them. Not much else is said about them, probably because it's not necessary. And what Jesus is really trying to drive home is the problem with the third servant. Now, one last thought about the first two servants is this. This is kind of a side note for our sermon today, but it's important for you to see that the one who was given five and returned ten, and the one who was given two and returned four, were both given the same reward. Jesus uses them to show you the difference between them, and yet equality in the reward. But the point of this is in the third servant is this, that there's a third guy who comes up, and he's not faithful, but rather he's unfaithful. He's given the one talent from the master, And he takes that talent, he digs a hole in the ground, he puts the talent in the ground, and he buries it. He hides it. See, the unfaithful servant concealed his opportunities. He hid it, is what the Bible says. Now, he's not hiding the opportunity from other people. He's not saying, well, I'm afraid of robbers coming and taking this talent, and then my master won't have his talent back, so I need to dig a hole and bury it so that that no one steals it. That's not what he's saying. He's not hiding it from other people. He's hiding it from himself. This talent that's given to him, this opportunity to be useful for the master, to direct his attention, his ability, his efforts to the benefit of his master, that opportunity that's in front of him, he wants to hide from it. And so he buries the talent so that he could go on with his life, and then when the master returns, he could just give it back to him and say, here, you can have what was yours. But the question is, why? What drove this unfaithful servant to not take advantage of this opportunity? And here's where Jesus gives us insight. And here's where he begins to press on us. That as we as servants of God are given opportunity, are we going to capitalize on them? Are we going to engage in them? Are we going to take the strengths we have, the abilities we have, the skills we have, and use them in the economy of the kingdom of God for his blessing, or are we going to just be the masters of our own lives and direct them without him? The unfaithful servant concealed these opportunities because he was afraid. It says that he, when he comes back to the master, if you see down there in verse 25, he says, or 24, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Now verse 25 says this, so I was afraid, meaning he was struck with fear. He was paralyzed by something. He was afraid. He says that he was afraid of the master. Now in verse 24, it's going to sound a little bit like he thinks the master's a bad guy, and maybe he does. He says, I knew you were a, a mean guy, a hard man. I knew you were lazy. You were not invested. You reap where you do not sow, and you gather where you do not scatter seed. An important side note when you're reading Scripture to be very careful here. When this servant makes the accusation against the master, you're saying that you gather where you don't scatter seed, meaning you take where you don't work. You gather where you do not invest. Notice what uh, the master says, verse 26. But his master answered and said, you wicked and slothful servant. Now it's going to sound like here in just a second that the master is going to confirm the fears of the unfaithful servant. He says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. But there's one little character at the end of that verse. Do you see it? That's very careful. You got to see it. Do you see what's there? It's not a period. It's not an exclamation mark. What is it? A question mark. He's judging this man by his own words. He's saying, listen, if you knew I was mean, if you thought I was hard, and you knew I was going to gather where I did not scatter seed and collect where I had not invested, if you knew that, wouldn't you have at least put my money with the bankers and collected interest? Wouldn't you have at least done that? You see, the master is not confirming this man's misunderstanding of him. He's saying, by your own mouth, I will judge you. That you should have at least done something for my benefit. You are my servant. I am your master. In that relationship, your will, your intention, your life is for me. So if you knew me to be that kind of master, at least you would have put money in the bank and made something back for me. But here's the real problem. The man was afraid, not of his master's judgment, because if he were, he would have worked. Not of his master's uh, mean, disconnected, adv taking advantage of others attitude. If that were the case, he would have tried to appease him. That's all a cover. The truth is what the, what the servant said to the master. He said, here, when he gave his talent back, he said, here, have what is yours. You see, this unfaithful servant wanted a life without the master. The master's business, the master's affairs, the master's talents were not his business, his affairs, his talents. Those two things never became one. This unfaithful servant wanted life without the master. And so when the master came back, he said, here, take back what's yours. I ran my own life. I did my own thing. I took advantage of my opportunities. I lived my life saying, how do I capitalize on what's best for me? That's what I chose to do. He has had other opportunities in life. He spent that whole many years doing things for himself. He was afraid. Listen. The unfaithful servant was afraid of wasting his time with his master's business and missing out on his life. How many of you are afraid of going all in on the master's business because you might waste your life? Are you afraid? Fear is at the root of every paralysis with God. You're afraid of something. You're afraid that he won't reward you. You're afraid that it won't be worth it. You're afraid that it'll be a waste of time. You're afraid that you won't live up to it. 
And in every one of those fears, the gospel comes alongside of you saying, I promise it's worth it. I promise I'll reward you. I promise I'll help you. I promise you can do it. Every single fear you have that makes you want to be unfaithful to the master and faithful to yourself as your own master, Jesus answers in the gospel. The question is, will you get over that fear? Or will you continue to live in the delusion that this unfaithful servant lived in, that the master was not worth it? I want to pause and just ask one question, and that is, what are these opportunities? What are these talents that he wants us to grab onto and take advantage of? And for us to really get a fuller picture of this, you do have to move out of this parable to get a little bit more insight about what these are, because this parable is really just about not wasting them. And some of you may think, well, what are these opportunities for the master in his kingdom? Maybe you think of the big ones right away, like going on a long mission trip, international, or something like that. Maybe you think about the big things like converting somebody to Christ or preaching a sermon. Now listen, yes, all of those things are opportunities for the kingdom. And when you have the chance, you should absolutely jump on those things and take advantage and do them. But those things are oftentimes infrequent. They're big. They happen in spurts, and they're um, periodic. My question is, what about the frequent opportunities? Not just with people that you don't know yet, but with people you see every day. And the command is this. The opportunity is this. For you and I to obey the basic precept that we are to be like Jesus Christ in all of our dealings with people. That means that we have the opportunity to serve people who are less fortunate than us, who have less than us. Maybe that means making a meal for somebody or taking a gift card, giving a ride or stopping by to have a visit with somebody. We have the opportunity to apologize when we do something wrong. We have the opportunity to forgive when somebody wrongs us. We have the opportunity to reconcile relationships that are broken. We have the opportunity to go to somebody when they've hurt us and not just gossip about them behind their back. We have the opportunity to speak words that give life to people not condescend and demean them. We have the opportunity to pray for somebody who's hurting and struggling and not just say, I'll pray for you, but actually pray for them. We have the opportunity to tell somebody who's hurting about the love of God that transcends any suffering and pain they might experience. Every single day. The reason Jesus said a talent is because he wanted you to know how much opportunity there is Opportunities are everywhere to infuse the love of Jesus Christ. Abundance of opportunities, but are we too busy being our own masters to see them with our life? Third point, what the servants received. What the master gave was opportunity and expectations. The servants, we have faithful who capitalize for the master's kingdom and unfaithful who choose to be their own master. What the servants received, the first one is this, the faithful servants received more of what they had. More of what they had. When they gave back the talents, the master said to them, first of all, affirmation, well done. You did a good job. They were busy in this work long when the master was gone, knowing they were doing the right thing. They had little glimpses of affirmation, I'm sure, in their life as they were reminded that this is the right thing. I need to be focused on this. My master has entrusted this to me. And they had little moments of affirmation, but the moment their master returns, they have the fullness. The master says to them, well done. That's what heaven will be, the fullness of knowing you did a job well done. They also got more obligation. 
You see what happened? He says, you were faithful over a few things. Now you'll be ruler over many things. You see, we get this delusion sometimes that a good life or a blessed life is the absence of responsibility, the absence of obligation, the absence of work, the absence of pouring ourselves out. We see the good life as like relaxing and reclining and vacationing all the time. But you've vacationed for a while. You know what it's like. You get tired of it after a while because you were built to contribute to something bigger than yourself. And heaven is this ultimate culmination of giving to something bigger than us. And he says, you were faithful over the little things I put in front of you. Come now, let me give you more. And the third thing he does is they were given satisfaction. There's something very particular about the joy they received in the, in the affirmation and the obligation they were given. He says, I want you to enter into not just joy, not just fleeting pleasure, but he says, I want you to enter into my joy. You see, the joy that you receive in heaven is not a joy that you produce. Most of the joy and the happiness that you experience in life right now is, is we produce it. You know, we work hard, something happens for us. We, maybe we train for something and something comes to us. We produce a lot of it. But there's going to be a kind of joy that when you enter heaven with the master and he says, enter into my joy, that you just simply receive it. It's given to you. That means it's bigger than you. That means it finally satisfies that churning heart of yours that won't stop. You know the one that gets something you like and then you're saying to yourself, well, what's next? What's after this? What's more? I need something. You know what I'm talking about? When he says, enter into my joy, you're going to go, that's everything I've ever needed and ever wanted. And the restlessness that I've worked with for 30, 40, 50 years that I just can't shake is finally a satisfaction because it's given to you by your master. Okay? What the unfaithful servant received? The unfaithful servant received what he thought he wanted. Pay close attention to this. He said, here, you can have back your talent that belongs to you. What I decided long ago is that I was going to run my own life, live my own way, do my own things. I want life without you, master, because I want to be, ready for it, free. The idea of being your slave is burdening and confining. I want to be free. Life without the master, unshackled, until he learned that life without his master doesn't really exist. It's not life at all. He's the giver of life. And what seems like in the moment to our flesh, restriction and burden is only the effort of a good God to guide you into the life you were built for. So this expectation that God has and these opportunities that God gives you feels like at times to our flesh, this religion that's binding us to do certain things and we just want to break free from that shackle. But here's the reality. It's a good God training and shaping and guiding you for what you were built for, what you were designed for. Let me try to explain it this way. Now think of it like this. A fish. Some of you like to fish. A fish was designed and built to breathe oxygen to get oxygen through water right now just imagine one day a fish decides you know what i'm tired of being shackled by this water this is unfair look at all those people out there like those animals that get to wander the ground and you know what this water's confining to me my life's just kind of confined to this and that fish jumps out of the water or the river or the lake and he decides he's going to go look at the grand canyon right from the top because the view's better up there than down in the bottom how long would that fish's life last not very long 
He wasn't designed to walk out there. You see, what seemed like restraint was actually his freedom. Freedom is not to be liberated from constraints. True freedom means finding the right constraints. And ours are this, as servants of the master, fully giving ourselves to the mission of Jesus Christ, to seek and save the lost, to serve those who are in need, to lay down your life for somebody else. Those are the constraints that produce in you the freest, fullest life you can live. Now, you might be worried, understandably so. I've been worried at times. If I do that, is my life over? If I really give myself all the way to Jesus Christ and say who I am, what I can do, my gifts, my strengths, my abilities, I'm zeroed in on when opportunities come to be Christ-like in every moment, to give myself to you. If I do that, is my life over? And maybe like the third servant, you're here today and you're afraid of what that means. Unfortunately, number one, I can't remove that fear for you. I don't have the power to do that. But I can tell you this. On the other side of that fear is the fullest life you could ever imagine. But you've got to have the courage to walk through that fear. You see, life is not about reducing fear. It's about increasing courage. Some of you all have fears in this life. And you'll probably never ever be able just to reduce those fears. But you can increase your courage. And as you stare right now, as a servant of the master saying, is it worth it to follow him? Is it worth it to give up on certain things I'm holding on to, to commit to things that I've held back on? Is it worth it to be all in? And you're kind of nervous. You're kind of afraid. On the other side of that fear is the fullness of life. Remember Jesus said, he who desires to save his life will what? He's going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll finally find it. How do I know this is true? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this about Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now is sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Here's what I know. He stared down with all the fears that a human would feel, full commitment to the Father, and said, through this fear is the greatest amount of joy I could ever imagine, being reunited with the lost souls that I once made. And on the other side of your fear is a connection to the Father who has loved you greater than anyone in this world could ever love you, who has served you better than anybody could ever serve you, who has a mission that's greater than anything you could ever imagine, but you got to walk through. And we're here to do that. We're here to help you. We're going to sing this song with Larry right now. You can come now, or you can find us after. You can find us any day, any time of the week. Let's stand and sing.